Welcome to the Heal Ministry Podcast, where we believe that God heals us in the way that brings Him the most glory and draws us closest to Him. Whether you've received healing, you're in the fight of your life, or you gave up on God a long time ago, you are welcome here. As you come to the table, listen with an open mind, knowing everyone's journey is unique and God's goodness truly can be found amidst our physical suffering. Hey guys, my name is Tara Bradham Denai. I am your host of the Heal Ministry Podcast, so welcome. It has been my pleasure to be with you for the past 125 episodes, and I believe that God still has more things in store for us ahead. So we are ending the season with a bang with one of my favorite episodes, So Good. And in addition to that, you guys, my Bible study through the fog comes out tomorrow, tomorrow, November 7th. Please head over to Amazon, pre-order your copy. I cannot wait to hear what God is going to do in your life through this study. And while you're there, check out this amazing book from the author that we have on the show today, Alan Arnold. Check out his new book called The Eden Option. He has a few other books that are also great as well. But this one, guys, I pray that God would not only get my books that I write in the right hands at the right times, but also that he would get books that other people have written in my hands at the right times that are exactly what I need in certain seasons of my life. And this book was exactly that. I love this story. I love the premise. God has used it in so many deep ways in my life to challenge me to have a deeper walk with him and to embrace his presence. So when we are asked to choose between story one and story two, as Ellen talks about, the promise of God's presence is what we get, regardless of if we get the healing that we expect or desire, we have God's presence. And that is enough. That is more than enough. And also when you choose the story one life, God's going to do amazing things, even if it's not what you think. It's going to be so good. And Alan's story is such an example of that. He takes us through it today. So please join me in welcoming Alan Arnold, an author, speaker, and innovative coach to the Heal Ministry Podcast. All right, Alan. So I... I'm just enjoying talking to you before we hit record. I interrupted you and said, come on, we got to hit the record button because what you're saying is already so good. The book you've written was perfect for my season in life. And so I can't wait for other people to hear some of it as well. Welcome to the Heal Podcast. Thank you. It's really fun to be on this with you. And and I can't wait to see where God leads our conversation today. Yeah, I want to jump into your book, but is there anything you would want people to know about you as they have no idea? They know you have like a great radio voice and that's about it as far as what they know about you right now. Maybe what I told them in the introduction, but what would you want people to know? Well, so I've always been drawn to God and story. That began with me as a publishing executive in Christian publishing, and for 20 years spent time there. The last 10 as a fiction publisher, founded a division at uh, one of the world's largest Christian publishers, really publishers, period, and published about 500 novels uh, during that time. So I love story, and the best stories are the ones with God in the most unpredictable ways. Since then, I've joined Wild at Heart. That's a ministry in the mountains of Colorado. I work with John and Stacey Eldridge, and I'm on their podcast. I'm the producer and also a co-host and and, um, really just love the chance to talk to people about God and story, specifically their story with God. 
because I feel like so many people are living in the wrong story. Yeah. Even as believers. So that's a, a little bit about me. I'm married. I've been married for over 25 years. I have three kids and um, love Colorado. And so that's that's where I've been for the last 11 years. And uh, it's it's been great to be in a place of snow and wonder and mountains. And in the summer, mm-hmm. which is where we're recording this, it's about 80 degrees, not 110 degrees where a lot of my friends are. So yeah. 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 Well, I'm from Texas, but I actually just before I moved to the Pacific Northwest, I was in Montana. So I can appreciate your mountain vibes and also the winters and 12 inches of snow in September were a little much for me. So there's that. Colorado's a nice in between. Yes. Totally. Okay, so you talked about how you love story. I also love story. I love how God is the ultimate author and he takes us on the craziest wild goose chases ever, but they're purposeful. So tell us a little bit about, I know you have a million probably in your life, but this one that you wrote your book on, what was going on when God invited you into this choosing between stories? Yeah, well, that to me is one of the wildest kind of things we could talk about because before I wrote my current book, which is The Eden Option is the title, before I did that, I had gone through a period where for about three months, I didn't have a voice. And I used my voice at work, obviously, for podcasts, for teaching mm-hmm. um, and, and speaking publicly. And so it wasn't just a bummer that, oh, gosh, I can't you know, say things around my home with my kids and my wife, but it was my career. And what had happened was I had been speaking too much and I had overused, overtaxed my vocal cords. So I knew that uh, all I had was a whisper, kind of a dull whisper, and that wasn't sustainable. And so I saw an ear, nose, throat specialist. And basically he put the scope down my throat, said, yep, see those nodules. That's the cause happens when you overuse your voice. Don't take care of it. And the only option is surgery. And it's about two months away before we can get you in at this time. And so I basically just resigned myself to two months of there. He said, there's nothing I could do that would change it. So I was living that and I was out in my yard doing yard work the weekend before the surgery was scheduled. So now two months have gone by from when I went in to see him and I just heard God within still small voice within me as I'm outside in the sun working on the yard, say, Alan, do you want story one or story two with this? Well, I had never used those terms. I I didn't know what that meant, but I did know enough to know when God asks questions like that, he's inviting us into a conversation. It's mysterious and there's unknowns, but the unknowns and mysterious part, like any good story, is that call into the adventure, the relationship. And so Mm -hmm. I just sat down and asked him, I, I don't know if I want story one or story two. Like what, what are those two things? Yeah. And, and within a couple of minutes and of sitting there and of listening, what I sensed him saying is story two is do what you're planning to do right now. Just mm-hmm. go into the procedure in a few days, have the surgery. And they say after a week or two, you start to get your voice back. That's story two. It's fine. Nothing mm-hmm. wrong with that. It's the way most people do things. Story one is trust me and walk into mystery with me and cancel the surgery. And this, this is, as we're talking about this, 
this is not me saying anyone in a similar situation should cancel a surgery. Yeah, absolutely. Or like get off your meds or anything like that. That's not what we're saying. (laughs) What we're saying is listen to what God's inviting you into and walk with him Mm -hmm. in intimacy. And for me, that was the invitation. And I didn't sense, by the way, if if I chose story two, he would be mad or it would be wrong. Hmm. But I realized I'll never know what story one is if I don't try it, if I don't step into it. And so that was how this journey began. And so that Monday, a day before the surgery, I called the ENT, talked to the person on the phone, not the doctor. And, you know, it was the most awkward conversation I had (laughs) because I didn't want to just say I'm canceling. I sense God saying, go with whatever the questions are, like be present and don't downplay this story. One, the story of walking with God into the unknown. And so when the person asked me, well, why are you canceling? Like you seemed really like excited about this and this was needed. Mm -hmm. And I, and I just kind of, said, okay, I'll, yeah. Well, the reason why is because God invited me into a different story and there were just kind of crickets on the other end of the line because I don't think she knew what to do with that. Right. And that's probably not what she normally hears. <laughs> and at that point she just kind of paused and said, okay, Alan, well, you know, when you want your voice back, when you, when you're ready to be able to talk full strength again, call us and it may be a few months, but we'll get you back on the schedule. Yeah. And And that was the end of that awkward conversation. And it really caused me in that moment to go, okay, like this, you know, there is risk in, in a decision like that. And I don't have a guaranteed outcome because God told me the only outcome is that I'm going with you in this. Mm -hmm. And so there wasn't a promise of cancel and your voice will be right back. Uh, it may never be back. Or he may have told me in half a year, now yeah. do the surgery. You know, you feel I, stupid. I mean, and like when you're going through this, you know, and now you're on the other side of it. But like, I just feel like when we're in these situations, we can can even take this. And I think this is where like a lot of faith healing movements come from is we want that certainty. And you actually talk about, uh, I'm going to read your own quote to you. You say, well, we let go of our unreliable banner of certainty and trust God with a wilder, riskier, less controllable story. But we like control, don't we, Alan? We love control. We love it. We love the, and it's it's really the illusion of control, right? Yes. But we yeah. love that illusion, and we want to we want to make it as real as it can be, because we want to believe ultimately we have guarantees and that we mm-hmm. can make things happen. And and when you ask about my earlier story, I didn't go into this in that brief intro, but I was one of the most controlling, make it happen (laughs) men that I've ever, that that, like really that I've ever known. Like in my earlier life, this was in my um, late twenties, early thirties. I was going on a video shoot with a crew and I wasn't. Oh my gosh. The story when I heard it killed me. Well, and I, it it, just the the top line of it, because I know, we want to get into some other things, but it's a great snapshot of me. I was uh, not paying attention. I was trying to be productive. I was on another phone call. The plane boards, I, I'm, not, I'm not paying attention. The crew gets on, everybody gets on, they close the door. I look over and I realize the plane's boarded and they, they quit boarding. And I run up to the counter and the lady working there says, right, you know, we've 
given another passenger your standby ticket because you didn't show up and the plane's full and the plane's leaving. And I tried to talk my way, you know, with her into opening the door and she wouldn't, she walks off. And this was before nine 11 or mm-hmm. I probably would have been shot, <laughs> but I just decide I'm, I'm going to be the guy that makes this happen. And so I walk out the emergency door onto the tarmac that's right mm. there. And it's a, it's, you know, like I didn't even know, I didn't even, re- all I really thought was I'm a hundred percent sure I'm going to get on this plane. And so there wasn't really a plan other than I just stood in front of the plane on the tarmac. Oh my gosh. And, and one of the, I guess the co-pilot got off, um, steps off. And they're like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, I'm waiting for you to let me on the plane. Here's my ticket. And ultimately talked my way on and they kicked the person in my seat off the plane. I get on. That poor guy. And that, but that, <laughs> I know, I know. And, and I look back and I'm not proud of that or I'm not, it's not like something I tell a lot of people now other than in the context of that was the extent I had this fortune cookie saying on my desk that said the one who says it can't be done should get out of the way of the one already doing it. I'm pretty sure I had this like on my board growing up oh, as man. an athlete. Yeah. And it was, yeah. and it was on a, on a, on a world surface level, it was working. Like I, I really mm-hmm. was the guy people would go, well, if anybody can make it happen, Alan can. And I thrived in that. And, but I also, felt very empty deep down because I knew I'm only as good as what I do in the life that I've created for myself, the control that I've tried to have. And mm-hmm. so to be more, I have to do more. And what do you do more after stopping a plane and staring it down and winning? Like it was that kind yeah. of reality that I was in. And so to back to your point, like, right, we love to think we can make things happen it's up to us. We control it. We kind of don't like that it's up to us, but we also kind of also assume, but if it's going to happen, it will be because of us. Mm-hmm. And it's this toxic way to live and and it's a toxic relationship with others and God. So when when I stepped into this story, story one, I knew that I don't have control over this story. I, I, I have the option mm-hmm. of which one I want to go with. God gives us options to choose, but it's not a control option. And I don't know where this is going to lead, but the only way to find out is to say yes. And so that's what I did. So here's a question. Do you believe that surrendering control is a prerequisite to intimacy with God? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Like it is, it is the only way to live as a son or daughter of God that, Mm -hmm. you know, if we don't do that, we can still be saved. Obviously, we can still live in our brokenness relationally with God, and we can live as orphans, which is where we're not sure if God's going to come through. We're not sure if we trust him. We look at outward signs to try to determine the will of God because we have no intimacy, no relationship. But if we want intimacy with God, we have to release control because as sons and daughters, of a good father, we realize we're not in control anyway. And so really we're just releasing this illusion that is going back into the terminology of story one and story two. It's a story two illusion 
of how the world works. It's unreality, mm -hmm. which is in story two, which is basically God took me further and further over, over time into that. And story two is basically trying to make life work on our own. It's what happened from the yeah. time Adam and Eve made the wrong choice in the garden. They leave story one, the original story. They go into story two mm -hmm. and we've been, everybody's been born in story two since then. We have to choose back yeah. the path of story one. But you can choose story one and then the next second choose story two again, right? Because I, I have done this. I'm not going to get into that part of my story another time, another day. But I mean, you can choose the story one life and then the enemy or your flesh or whatever corrupts it. And you, you talk about this. You say the only promise of story one is God's presence. If we're in it for anything else, whatever it is can quickly become an idol. So when we're choosing story one, and I know we haven't gotten to what actually happens when you chose story one yet, but like leaving on this cliffhanger, because this is where the majority probably of people listening to this podcast are living, right? Is in this place where, you know, if they have physical affliction, they haven't been healed yet. Maybe God's saying, what, what is story one? So when you say, okay, God, I want story one, how do you not let your desire for healing or your desire for a certain outcome become an idol once you choose. You're like, okay, God, I'm in. I'm in for the adventure. But you know, when you're on the phone with the gal and she's like, okay, I'll see you in 90 days. How are you not like, okay, God, prove yourself. Like you're going to look stupid, you know, if this doesn't come through and then you start controlling it again. And then you step out of that adventure. Yeah. Well, what, what, I mean, you said a lot of great things there. One of Sorry. The, <laughs> no, that's good. But one of the things is you're right. Like we can go from story one to story two to story one. We can toggle back and forth in the course of an hour or a day. And we do because, you know, we're, God is growing us up and, and we have the ability to make choices and look at Peter in scripture, you know, one of my favorite people in all of the new Testament, Me too. And, but you or, or look at David in the old Testament, you know, like they toggled, they, but, they went between story one and two, but the important point is, but one of those two places was their home. Mm -hmm. And story one was the home or the, the place they chose as their primary residence. And, and story two, even though they slipped back into that, they would it would be brief times, moments, regrets, course corrections, but it wasn't a life of, you know, dysfunctional, story one, story two, story one, story two, every day, all the time. It just depended on the exact minute. There was a course that they were on, a homeward journey that they were back on in story one. And they knew when they were stepping out of it. If they didn't know in the moment, they knew quickly afterwards. And so, yeah, we can toggle back and forth. But one of those two, we can't live in both as our primary residence, right? Right. And, 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 and to your point about like, why do we, why do we toggle back and forth? I think it's when that sense of, I want this thing more than I want God, if I'm being honest, is mm -hmm. the, is the catalyst. It was the catalyst in the garden of Eden. Like they didn't stop believing in God. They just started believing that something more could bring more life. And so when we start believing are wanting or pursuing something where God is the means, but he's not the end ultimate goal. God isn't at the epicenter. Mm -hmm. He's kind of the genie 
or he's the gatekeeper, well, then I think it's easy to start falling off course because the reason we do that is we start to put our expectations above all else. My expectation, Mm -hmm. like in my case, my expectation, if it was, I want my voice back above all else. So I'll choose story one, but now God, you're on the hook to deliver. Mm -hmm. If you don't, then all bets are off. I'm not really in story one. It's a conditional basis Mm. based on expectations. And if we can shift that to an expectancy of God, I'm not sure what the answer will be or the outcome will be, but I want you more than I want the outcome. And if I get you, then even if I don't get my voice back, in my case, I'm okay with that because I want that deeper intimacy with you more than a demand that you come through for what I want. And I think that's what helps keep us in story one more is, is God at the epicenter of that Mm -hmm. story. If he is, then we, Adam and Eve could have stayed in story one. They, when the temptation came in the garden, they could have said to the serpent, what you're saying doesn't sound like the father we know. And Mm. so we're running back to the father to talk to him and expose you and, and have an interpretation that's his, not yours or not ours based on yours to the serpent, but they didn't. Right. And so that's where God at the epicenter is kind of the root of what is story one. It's a life where all of it Mm -hmm. is lived with God at the epicenter story two, where all of it is lived based on our desires and expectations. And we try to fit God into that, use God mm-hmm. as we can. And, and, and usually doubt, disappointment and other things come because God won't be used. Right. And sometimes God is not who we think he is. We've put him in what we want him to be, right? And I want to clarify for people, too, that you can totally take a story to approach to good things. Like healing is a good thing. I mean, I've idolized God's voice before. I've idolized living an impossible life, but it wasn't just God. And so... Alan, I think people listening today, and and this is going on in the, the Capital C Church at large, is I think we even struggle to feel like we know that we hear God and God seems like super intangible and we have all of our technology and distractions and things that are keeping us from knowing Yahweh, right? Right. And so I am just curious on a personal level here, like we're talking as friends, even though we just met, like Alan Arnold, why is to you... Why is it worth it? Why do you want God more than you want any outcome? Well, that's a great question. And, and I think it really comes down to, as we talk about story, like the story we're living, realizing nothing else that this world has to offer will ever be as good of a story as what God, who created us and designed us, for intimacy with him and for a role in the story, nothing else will ever satisfy like that. Uh, When I talk to singles, a lot of times they think marriage is the key. Like once I'm married, life will be perfect and complete. And anyone who's married and has a great marriage even knows, no, like it's a beautiful thing, but, but marriage isn't the, the source of ultimate paradise or fulfillment, mm-hmm. it's actually messy and hard and sacrificial and, and beautiful and good and all those things. People who don't have very much money think if I just 
could have the wealth or the ability to live independently based on whatever, that's not the answer. And you can go down on all of those tracks and whatever we don't have in our particular story, we tend to think that's the thing, but none of those are the thing. God is the thing. And so what keeps me in this is just the realization that everything else, if it becomes the thing is a bright, shiny object that ultimately will let me down, ultimately will not be enough, ultimately becomes a false God or becomes a distraction, even if it's a good thing. Because if I want those things more than you, and and even when I speak to, I speak to creatives a lot of the time. And when I'm at a writer's conference or a creativity conference as a former publisher and now as an author, you know, I'll tell them, if you are more enamored with creativity than the creator, that's a problem. Yeah. If you're if you're more fascinated with how, you know, some director or producer or writer created your favorite series or movie or novel, and you're really into studying the intricate details of that, that's fine. But if you're more fascinated with that than the creator, if you know more about the creator of your favorite work of art than you do about God as creator, then we've lost our wonder and our love and our yeah. intimacy first for that. So those are those are some ways that I think just help me filter through where am I being tempted to look elsewhere mm-hmm. with the hope of more life when I already have that life. I just right. get to go deeper with God for it, not searching outwardly for something more. Yeah. That's that's so good. Thanks for sharing that. And then you you hit on something else I wanted to hear you talk about, which was the wonder and imagination. And I understand we still haven't told people what happened with your voice. We will get there before the interview. But for people sitting in this place, like you were sitting there and God's like, okay, story one or story two, how do they use their imagination? How does someone, let's say, in physical affliction, disease, illness, something going on, use their imagination in a surrendered way to God in this scenario with story one versus story two? Well, imagination is one of the ways I think God redeems us in who he has originally created us to be is is not just through what we do, but how we think. Scripture talks a lot about the mind of Christ Mm -hmm. and how we can take on the mind of Christ. And Mm -hmm. part of that healing of us, there's physical healing. Yes, there's mental healing, there's spiritual healing. There's also a healing of our creativity, of our imagination. And one of the things that's fascinating to me is if you go back to the beginning, it's always to me the best way to to see our story is to keep going back to the original story, not back 20 years Mm -hmm. when we were born or 50 years or 200 years, but back all the way to in the beginning. And what we see is before creation Lucifer, as one of the created angelic beings, at some point used his imagination to think, what if I was God? What if I overtook God? We had a coup. I got as many angels as I could on my side. And we changed the story that the creator, because clearly they knew, they saw God face to face as angelic beings. They knew he created them and they imagined a story where they took down the creator. 
And that led to, we read about in scripture, the fall of these angelic beings, you know, the, the battle in heaven, they were thrown out. A third of the angels sided mm-hmm. incredi- incredibly with the wrong side. Like, I don't know how a creative being gets you to, to choose mm-hmm. him instead of the creator, but he did. Except for the fact that we do it every day. <laughs> right. Well, right. Right. But I, you know, exactly. But I mean, they had yes, face, face to face. face. Yeah. Inter- and, and, and so we do the same thing. Yes. But, but it is, there's a level of difference. Yes. And, and with an intent, not just to be independent, but actually to kill the creator of the mm-hmm. story, to take it down. They thought. And then after that, Genesis one in the beginning, God creates, you know, and, and, and we fast forward to him creating Adam and Eve in the garden. Well, he could have, Tara, he could have said, I'm, I'm leaving that part of their DNA out. Mm-hmm. They don't get an imagination. Like they're still beings that can love me. They're still beings that, that I can interact with, but the imagination part Look at all the pain it caused. Look at all of the destruction it caused. They don't get that. But in love, he gives us our full imagination. And then Adam and Eve, at some point shortly thereafter, use it to imagine a story with the tree, not the tree of life, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that they think can lead to a better life. They imagine that based on what the serpent is telling them. So there's this history of imagination in humanity and even in created angelic beings being used in the wrong way. And so we have a chance now as God's sons and daughters to use our imagination for good, to imagine our life drenched and soaked in a God reality. What would it be like if we fully gave ourselves over to God? We see that play out as we live it, but God loves when we meditate on mm-hmm. things that are good and noble and true. And so we can use that imagination, not just if we're an author writing a story or if we're a painter going to the canvas. We can use our imagination to imagine our life in ways that God has invited us to live. Mm-hmm. And we can meditate on that. And we can imagine, I think God loves when we imagine and ask him questions out of curiosity about yeah. His, who he is, what he loves. Yeah. What I love your little home. sections in there. What are they called? The beacons? Eden beacons? Yeah, beacons. It's so fun. Yeah. And in the book, like one of those kind of sidebar notes is just the question of what was Jesus doing in Eden? Mm-hmm. Because I never hear a sermon on that in church yeah. ever. Uh, but Jesus clearly in John 1, 1, it talks about how in him and through him, all things were created. So Jesus clearly was in mm-hmm. Eden, part of the Trinity. And then you, it gets even wilder, you know, because you start thinking, well, he was there, but he had not been born in human form yet. He's the eternal mm-hmm. one who has always been. So what did he look like? What was he doing? Yeah. Like those are things, even if you don't get the full answer, this side Which of we eternity. Won't. Yeah. <laughs> But but the wonder of that, yes. the, the beauty of that. It's like reclaiming wonder. Yeah. It's so healing, I think, to our mind, to our spirit, to our mm-hmm. soul, to be able to bring questions of life and of eternity and of the magnificence of God, even though we won't get all the answers this side, 
the the desire. I think any good father would want that from his sons and daughters. So mm-hmm. imagination is key. And we often use imagination in the worst way because we use it to create doubt. We mm-hmm. imagine the worst case scenario that could happen. And then we fill ourselves with worry and fear and trepidation. And we do that by imagining oh my goodness, if I choose this or if I let go of my illusion of control, well, then what could happen? Mm -hmm. And so our imagination actually gets bent in the wrong direction instead of imagining the trueness, faithfulness, beauty of God and trusting in that. So you, you kind of know from an internal barometer is your imagination being used in holy and healed ways by what is the fruit of that? Mm -hmm. If the fruit of it is fear, worry, doubt, then the enemy is taking your imagination or the world or your own flesh is using discontent, right? Like if I'm imagining healing, but I'm really discontent about it. Right. Right. That's not, that's the fruit of the flesh. So that would not pass the test, right? Right. So what's the fruit of it? and, And how do you normally tap into your imagination with God versus letting it be used and abused and warped by what others say, what, you know, like look at the story of Job Mm -hmm. and all that his friends were telling him to try to have him reinterpret the story in a way that did not imagine God in a kind or good or noble way. So the fruit of it is the test. Yeah. Well, as you're talking, I mean, there's even in me, there's a fear that rises up that I'm like, well, Alan, but if I do this, I'm going to imagine something so good that God could never live up to it. And then it's like scripture. You're like more than you could ever ask or imagine. And so to someone listening right now, who's like, yeah, but if I, what if I imagine something really great and God's not that good? Well, like we know by a promise in scripture that he's better than anything we could imagine. Like that's crazy. <laughs> right. Well, and, and ask yourself, I mean, just because I know we've all done this, but but just catch yourself and pause and go, do you really think as a created being, you can out imagine mm-hmm. God? Like, do you really think you can imagine a better future for yourself than God can? Yeah. If you really believe that, then, I mean, honestly, just, just quit thinking about eternity and just book a two-week trip to Hawaii <laughs> because you'll have a lot more surface joy for in two weeks in Hawaii, then you will trusting God with the future if you're doubting it every step of the way that that he can't imagine as good as you well, can. Well, just like look at scripture, right? I mean, I think the, the cure to that is if you study scripture and you see the hundreds of whatever, thousands of prophecies that have been fulfilled that could like have a millionth chance of being fulfilled. Like if you've seen that he can write that story, like you think you could imagine something better than what he's done? Like... It's right. very humbling to me if you look at the whole of scripture. Right. And and a great verse for that to me is Jeremiah 33, 3, come with me and I will show you things beyond your wildest imagination, beyond what you could even mm. think of. And, and so it's a relational, if then scripture saying, if you'll come with me, then I will show you things beyond your wildest imagination, mm-hmm. your biggest dreams. But if you do it on your own, then you get the best you can think of. And so we have to let go of this concept that, well, but what if what I'm imagining is better than what God has for me? Well, first of all, you can't. You can't Mm -hmm. imagine something better than the creator of you has for you. Your mind is not capable of that. And and even if you thought you could, you're going to choose a lesser thing 
than God has yeah. to be because that without God is less than what you would receive with God. Mm-hmm. So we have to catch ourselves in that and go, wait a minute, am I really believing I have a greater imagination and know my eternal future and destiny and what's best for me better than the creator of time and of me and of life? And and most of us at that point will go, right, okay, I, I give, I, I call, you yeah. know, that I was off on the wrong path. That's story two living, not story one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is so, so good, Alan. I just think people are going to need to stop and pause and take notes and pray through it. But I love how this interview ended up because we didn't tell people what actually happened. But that's not the point. That's really not the point is actually what happened with your voice. The point is the journey and the point is God's presence. But ruining the story. But it's I mean, you got the healing, right? And that was amazing. Right. But it, well, I did. And my voice is full strength. It's been over two years now since that happened. And I've been speaking more than ever. Uh, and, and the short, my book goes into in the first few pages, kind of what happened. Mm-hmm. But in short, the first day after I said no to the surgery, nothing happened the day I would have had the surgery. And I didn't hear anything from God. And it really pressed into me. Are you, I was asking myself, mm-hmm. okay, Alan, do you really believe and mean that your voice isn't the main thing. The main thing is entering into story one with God. Mm-hmm. Do you really mean that? Yeah. And, and it was a day that was, it felt like it was 70 hours, not 24 hours. And I didn't hear anything. And I could feel the enemy trying to get doubt in. And the second day after nothing happened and, and the same thing. And it was in the second day that I basically, Tara said, okay, God, I reinforce and recommit that the only thing that I am counting on is your presence. And if I never get my voice back, but I get more of you by being in this story with you, that's the biggest win of all. And it was day three that I woke up. And when I said good morning to my wife, you know, as as we woke up in bed, I had my full 100% voice back. It wasn't the best surgery offered was it would gradually return after two weeks of the surgery somewhere within Mm -hmm. that time period. Well, I had it back 100% and there was nothing I did different before mm-hmm. or after. And, and so the kindness of God and that he over-delivered yeah. beyond my wildest expectations was phenomenal. But by that time, I truly had released mm-hmm. these expectations and demands where it was like, God, I, I just want story one. And whatever that story is, even if in six months I don't have my voice back and you go, now do the surgery. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not going to question why you did that. Right. I'm just going to trust and come along the journey with yeah. you. Oh, it's so good. So good. I love this story. I love this testimony, Alan. I got to go save my husband who's trying to work right now and take care of my baby. So <laughs> although I hate to end this conversation, we have to land the plane. What? would you want to share? Is there anything on your heart that you didn't get to share so far? Just two really quick things. If, if listeners yeah. are hearing this and it sounds too good to be true, or it sounds like, yes, but this much, if you only knew my story and, and, and I understand people suffer far greater health issues and losses than my voice. Like I, there's mm-hmm. no comparison here when I'm sharing but I do want to just offer 
try to step in to story one in a new way with God and know that if he's at the epicenter, there's something there for you. And so just don't, don't dismiss this because it's a different story than yours or because it's, it's not as severe. The beauty of this is it works no matter what you're going through. And the second thing I just wanted to offer is I'd love for people to receive I have daily readings, mm. encouragement on God and story and creativity that taps into a lot of what you and I are talking about. And mm-hmm. if people are interested, it's totally free. You just go to my website with Alan, dot com slash sign dash up. And you can get these daily readings in your inbox. It's only a paragraph or so to a day, but it's a way to stay in story one. And so yeah. if that's of interest, I'd love for you to be part of that community. Yeah, I will link that in the show notes. So they have that. I'll link your book and where to get that. Because I know some people like make their reading list off of this podcast, which is amazing and an honor. So uh, we'll link all of that in that. So you can connect with Alan, which I think is great. And I uh, I love the book. So get the book. And just thank you for your time and your faithfulness and your obedience into stepping into story one and then sharing that amazing word with us, both in your book and here today. So thank you, Alan. Oh, you're welcome. I've loved it. Thank you. Wasn't that incredible, you guys? Oh my goodness. So Alan's vision is to help writers, creatives, and visionaries escape the merry-go-round of working for God by embracing the wonder of doing life in community with God. If that's something that's interesting to you, please check out his resources that I linked in the show notes in addition to his book, The Eden Option. And I will have an episode next week detailing the things that are to come for our ministry and what's ahead. But thank you so much to Alan. I'm praying God multiplies the seeds that he has planted in your life through this interview today. And we'll see you here again next week.